Open up your Bibles, if you would, to 1 John 4. 1 John is like all the way, almost all the way to the end of the Bible. Matter of fact, it would be easier for you to go to the end where Revelation is, and the book before that is Jude, before that is 3 John, before that is 2 John, before that is 1 John. In the first service when I was doing the this is my Bible thing, my mind was going several different directions. And when it says, you know, uh, my, heart is uh, the, my heart is receptive, I wanted to say my, my body's at rest. And I'm like, I have no idea where that's coming from, but that's, that's not really, I don't need you to be at rest. Some of you, you really rest well when you hear me speak. I don't know what it is, but, but my voice has a soothing effect on you. And so uh, if you could just, you know, not let that happen again, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, even though you're in First John, I want to share with you from Romans 12. And he said this, he said, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship. And then it says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Now, it's interesting that he's writing this. This is a letter that's written to Christians. And so he's telling Christians, not, not people that aren't Christians, he's telling Christians, don't copy the customs and behaviors of this world. So he's telling them that because there's a chance of that, right? That, I mean, the potential is there. He said, don't copy the customs and behaviors of this world, but let God transform you. Everybody say transform. Transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Now, the word transform there, like in the Greek, it's, it's a word that's similar to metamorphosis. And word metamorphosis, the best way to describe how drastic the change is, it's comparable to what happens from a, when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. That's a drastic change. And so the transformation that can take place in our life can be drastic in our behavior and the things that matter to us. But he says that one of the ways that happens is that we, by we let God changing the way we think. So we give our lives to Jesus. We become a new creature on the inside. Our spirit man is made new, is born again. But we still have the same thoughts. Still think the same way. And so then from that moment on, there begins to be this transformation that takes place as we endeavor to, to, dis, to discover what God thinks about this moment. And we'll talk about this in the weeks to come. The, the number one way that he reveals that to us is in his word. Is in his word he reveals that to us. So, so we'll begin to see that. So 1 John chapter 4. Verse 4 says this, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory and a, vote and a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. So again, he's writing to Christians and he said, the spirit that lives in you as a Christian is greater than the spirit that, that's in the world. It's not talking, you know, not talking about God's spirit, it's talking about the spirit that's in the world that, that the devil's a part of, you know, it's and so he said that the greater, greater is the one that's in us than the one that's in the world. The King James puts it this way, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I'll just tell you sometimes under my breath when I'm going into a situation, I'll say the greater one lives in me. Sometimes I get ready to face a situation that feels overwhelming or I feel inadequate for. And sometimes just on the way there, I'll, I'll be praying, talking to the Lord, like, Lord, I, I need your help. I want to do this. I, I don't really know how to do this. And it just feels bigger than I am in the moment. It feels, feels like it's larger than any gift that I have uh, available to me could meet. And so I just begin, under my breath, begin to say, the greater one lives in me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. The greater one is going to help me in this moment. And I begin to declare that because that's what the scripture says. So as a believer, when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. He's the greater one. He's greater than anything the world has to offer. And so it goes on to say that... Um, 
It says that greater than the spirit who lives in the world. It says those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint. They speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. So he's letting us know that the world or culture has a voice. That there's this voice that's constantly going. Now, I will tell you this much, that the standards of that voice change from one generation to the next. But, but the thing behind that voice remains the same. It's, it's turning us away from God's plan, turning us away from God's purpose. That, that this voice is constant there. Now, you know, growing up, that there were a lot of things in my early years that in our culture, that the voice of culture in a lot of areas was consistent with the voice of scripture. Now, not in every area. And in the areas where it wasn't consistent with scripture, it created a lot of pain, a lot of, a lot of hurt for the people that were impacted when, you know, by that whenever the voice was really different. And sometimes the church would embrace that different voice that would create all that pain. But to understand this, that one of the voices that competes with us here in God is culture. Just this, this voice that's just constant. It's you know, we'll look more at it in point two even, but, but to understand this, that culture has its own voice and it's declared in, in you know, the things that surround us daily, you know, in the, in the things that we listen to in our news and our, in our, you know, problem solving and, you know, just in our art and just so many ways, different things that there's just things that are going on that just communicates that and declares that. So if you're taking notes, number one is this, is that culture has a voice. Let's, Let's go, if you would, with me to Joshua chapter 24. And Joshua's like in the Old Testament. It's the sixth book of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. So Joshua was a guy that he was with the children of Israel when they were taken out of Egypt. And he served Moses, who God was using. Well, then Moses dies, and God uses Joshua to bring them into the promised land. Well, in Joshua 24, Joshua is at the end of his life. And so he's declaring to his people, he's really issuing a challenge to them and a warning. He's, he's trying to get them to rise up. And so in Joshua, in the relationship with God, in Joshua 24, verse 14, it says this, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Now, that word fear does not mean to be in terror of, but that word fear means to be in awe of, reverence. And, and the reason why I just want to take a moment with this, because I know that my dad for years, whenever he would read the verse, fear the Lord, that in his mind, it was like, be in terror of him, be in terror of him. And so I, I watched my dad in his own relationship with God. He would stay as, as far away from God and still be connected as possible because he literally feared he was in terror of God. Like he was somebody you can't get too close to because he'll behave like an abusive parent would and that you never know when he's going to lash out at you. Well, he misunderstood the character of God. Because that fear of the Lord is being awe of, an awe of reverence, to realize he's, he's not common, he's, he's different. It's, you know, the, that we, when we describe God in our current culture, we describe him as love, and it, he should be described that way because the Bible describes him that way, but also there, like a handful of times he's described as God is love, but hundreds of times it's mentioned that God is holy. In other words, he's, he's set apart, he's, he's to be recognized as that. And so he said this, he goes, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. He said, put away forever, 
Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. Let me read that again. Serve the Lord alone. He said, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose. Everybody say choose. Then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? So he said, serve the Lord alone. alone." And he said, you know, put away those gods. He said, but if you're not going to serve God, he said, choose. You know, I think it's such a a great picture because we live in a culture that people are just hesitant to really come down in anything, to be committed to anything, to declare anything or have ownership to plant themselves anywhere. And so, you know, it's just that thought of being identified as this, that we hesitate to to do that or to be that. And so Joshua's challenge is like, man, if you're going to serve God, serve serve something. He says, they're going to be the the gods that your ancestors served. He said, if it's not them, then is it going to be the gods in uh, that's, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? So he was saying one of the choices that they could have, it would be a wrong choice, but it would be to serve the gods in the land that they now live. The gods of the people that weren't following God. The culture uh, that, uh, you know, of what matters and, and that type of thing. So we as Christians, believers all over the world, that there are things that the scripture has given us that's called us to embrace these things, whatever those things are. And so he was letting them know, he said, look, you know, he said, there's also the gods of the Amorites whose land you now live. He said, are you going to serve that? And then, and then he closes this with this, but he said, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. You know, the challenge with culture, one of the reasons why it can be such a distracting voice, especially when it's adversarial to what God has called us to do and who he's called us to be, is that we hear it regularly, whatever area we're talking about, and we hear it so often that it becomes comfortable to us because it's familiar. And because it's familiar, we begin to assume that it's safe. We have to understand that, that you know, that any time that there's a voice that opposes God's plan, God's will for our lives personally, for how we deal with our marriages and in our families, how we treat each other, Anytime we embrace something that's different than that, that, you know, over and over again, we, you know, we can hear things. And, and again, you look at culture throughout history and all of the evils that have been done to humanity, uh, that they've been done, when you, when you look at the things that have taken place, they've been done outside of God's will, God's plan, God's voice, when you look at those things. And so culture has its own voice, but here's the second thing, if you're taking notes, to know this is that culture's voice seems safe because it's familiar, because we hear it often, and it becomes our normal. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, that's okay. Well, yeah, everybody kind of has their own truth, and, you know, this is my truth. And, this truth. and here's the thing about truth that's kind of uncomfortable for us, and that is, is that truth is not a comfort issue, right? I mean, it's, it's not, truth is not designed to make us comfortable. Truth has an edge to it. It's, it's, it's not bendable. It's not... It's not shapeable. It, we don't shape truth. It shapes us. And so and that's, sometimes that's, you know, there's things about truth that are very uncomfortable for me. You know, there have been times where people have been honest with me in my life. And at that time, you would think that I would embrace them, but they irritated me. I was mad at them. 
Sometimes my wife has told me the truth about certain things. And I didn't give her a hug and kiss, say, babe, you're just a gift from God. I'm so glad you're here. I'd be like, hey, why don't you shut up? You know, I mean, it was a thing, you know. Uh, you know, and so it was, uh, you know, don't, don't send me notes to say, don't tell your wife to shut up. She's already told me. So um, um, probably a lot more passionately and better than you did. But, but so, but we just, you know, a lot of times truth is uncomfortable. And so often culture tries to shape things in a way that fits us, that's comfortable for us. And so it has its own voice, but it, it becomes dangerous to us because we see it every day. We hear it every day. We feel it every day. We, you know, and because it has its own voice, it's adversarial often, not always, but often it's adversarial to what God's plan is and what he wants for us. And so as a result of that, that the only time that, that it can make us feel uncomfortable is when it looks at us and says, why, why, why wouldn't you do this? Why, why, is, why is this not okay? We politicize so many things that have to do with things that aren't necessarily political. And so, in our lives, that, that there's this competing voice that's cultural, that it's just there. It's there in every avenue of our world, every avenue of our life. And so it becomes familiar, and we fall into the trap that listening to it and doing Letting that voice be the thing that leads us is safe. It's not. It's not safe. It's, it takes us to a place away from God's plan and God's purpose. And again, part of the challenge is sometimes culture is not, the thing that culture is saying is not necessarily adversarial to what God wants. But man, it's those times that it is that it takes us to a bad place. And so it competes with us hearing God. I, you know, that I really know what God wants. Why is that? Because well, I, know, I know the scriptures say this, but I hear this. And, or I know that, you know, this takes place, but I hear this. And so we can feel so trapped by that and confused because we're not looking to the right place to hear what God wants to say to us. So number two is this, is that culture's voice seems safe because it's familiar. Let's go to point three and we'll, we'll spend a little time on this, but this is the one we'll close with. In Genesis 3, very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, there's so much in here in the first three chapters as far as revealing who God is and his plan for us and just, you know, that, uh, just the foundation of, of our relationship with him and all of that. So you're turning to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. In Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17, it says this, talking about Adam. God had made Adam. This was before Eve was made. He said, but the, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except, everybody say except, Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. Now, the instruction that we have is that God told him, he said, look, man, all of this is yours. All of this is yours except from this one tree. I, I don't want you to eat from it. And, and we know that God was telling him the consequence if you eat from this tree is that you'll die. And, and like it literally means in dying, you will die. In other words, in dying spiritually, eventually you'll die physically. So in dying, you'll die. And so... But he doesn't, you know, beyond that, there's no other reasons given. And I found this out sometimes when the Lord deals with us. He doesn't tell us everything. Why is it? Well, because there are times he tells us what we need to know. But then also this element of trust comes in. You know, you have to, we have to trust him sometimes. We trust him when we don't have all the answers. 
Have you discovered this, that sometimes the Lord doesn't answer all your questions? Am I the only one that he doesn't answer all their questions? And I'm talking about real questions. I'm talking about things more serious than did Adam have a belly button. I mean, I've wondered that, but he's never answered that question. But there have been other things. Some of you have wondered it too. There's been other things that now some of you are pondering. I've lost you for the rest of service. Like, <laughs> I've never thought of that, you know? So, but the, but the truth of the matter is there's been other things, some real issues in my life sometimes where I'm like, God, I don't know why this happened. I don't know why this is this way. And sometimes he doesn't answer. You say, what are you doing in those moments? We trust him. We trust him. And so he gave Adam instruction. Hey, man, all this is yours except this. Don't eat from this. If you do, the day that you do, man, it's going to impact our relationship. That disobedience is going to separate us. As a result of that, that getting in between us, that making things weird with us now, it's going to cost you also physically. At some point, you're going to die physically because of it. Was there more he could have told us? There probably were more things that came about, but he told him what he needed to know. In other words, just, just trust me in this. And so then as time went on, he saw that Adam was alone and it wasn't good. And so you know, he, he made Eve. And, and so Adam and Eve, that, you know, they, they have their lives together. And, and in Genesis 3, verse 1, it says this, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Well, God never said that they couldn't touch it. So I don't know whether Adam was the one that added that or whatever. But anyway, he, so he, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. Now, for years, man, I was in church, and people were always like, you know, laying the smack down on Eve and that type of thing. But Adam was right there. He was right there watching it all take place. Never once did he intervene. Never once did he say, I don't know who this guy is, but we don't need to be listening to him. He was there, engaged in it as well. He was, matter of fact, he, you know, he was equally, he was equally as at fault as she was. It says that sin entered the world, not, not through her, but through him. And so they ate this, and then this is what happened. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, right, like, like, right then, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool of evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And listen to what the response was when they heard him. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied. I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? I mean, it's just, it's just such a powerful thing in this moment. You know, it's just, it's, it's that moment whenever that, God had already given them instruction, given them directions about this part of their life. And culture comes up, and it's talking about the same thing, but it wants to change the instruction. It wants to change the narrative of what took place. God, God you know, his instruction was, was that all of this is yours. 
And, and I've got a piece of fruit out here, you know. Some people have, have thought that it was an apple that they had eaten, but I'm fully convinced it was a pear. And no, it really wasn't any kind of fruit like that. It was like, you know, what, what kind of fruit was it? A fruit we've never seen. So, so, you know, there in front of them was this tree that basically God was saying to them, just trust me in this. Just trust me in this. Well, the devil came along, and culture does this. It's, it's the world's voice that's backed by the spirit of darkness, by, by the devil himself. It's, it's backed by that. And, and here's, here's some things that it changed the narrative. It, it, it said that it, it, it's not bad for you. This is what culture said. It, it's really not bad for you. It's good for you. So I tried to change the argument. And then, and then it said, you know, God's not protecting you. He's withholding from you. So, so culture was talking about the same thing, but it was trying to get Adam and Eve to see it differently. Before they trusted God because he said, hey, look, hey, look, leave that alone. They, they took it as this, the, the, the God knows what's best and he knows that this isn't best for me to do this, that God's protecting me. But culture comes along and says, oh, no, no, he's not protecting you. He's withholding from you. Well, it changes it, right? It changes the conversation. And, and, and then this also that, that um, you know, God's voice said, hey, you, you can trust me with this. But the voice of the world, culture's voice said, no, no, you can't trust him with this. And then as time went on and they listened to that, that she became convinced, persuaded that I'm going to go this direction. It was the first time they'd ever made a decision to not trust him. And they began to believe the lie that he's withholding. They began to believe the lie that, you know, he just he doesn't want, you know, he doesn't want your life to be good. If you really want it to be good, you, you could have this. And, you know, we read this incident that took place and, and their response to God was different than it had ever been. For the first time ever when he showed up, they were afraid of him. It's amazing when we quit listening to the voice of God and we begin to buy into the voice of culture that it begins to change the way we see God. You know, it's interesting too that when you look at the scriptures in chapter 2 that the phrase it uses, the Lord God, the Lord God, that in reality what it's saying is it uses a Hebrew word there that means that he's a God that we should surrender to, that we should be yielded to and follow. But when the devil shows up with the voice of the world, he doesn't deny God's existence, but he doesn't refer to him as the Lord God. He refers to him as God, the creator. In other words, yeah, he's the one that made this, but he's not the one you have to follow. And so we begin to hear God's voice differently. And because we hear it differently, we don't give it the precedence that it, take, it should take in our life, the priority that it should have when, it come, when he begins to speak to us about relationships, about our family, about our marriage, about how we should treat each other, not just in our homes and our families, but in our community, how we should deal with each other. That all of a sudden we begin to hear these other voices and, and, all of, and we, we, we're talking about the same thing that the serpent was talking about the same tree that God was talking about, he just began to convince him that maybe God's plan isn't best. Maybe this is better. Maybe you know better. And so they, they began to hear that voice. For the first time ever, they were afraid when God showed up. 
For the first time ever, he said that he was a, they felt shame. They began to cover themselves. They never experienced what a negative power shame can have on our life in our walk with God. I mean, I've experienced that before, haven't you? Where I've sinned before, I've done something wrong, and, and shame impacts how I believe that God hears me. I don't pray with confidence because, I, you know, I, I don't see him in the light of who he is and what Jesus has done. I see him in the light of my failure. And so shame begins to tell me that he doesn't hear me. And so it impacts the way I pray. And, and then it begins to impact the way I feel when I'm at church. So I quit going to church. It's just such a powerful thing. And yet the Bible says this about Jesus, that he's carried our shame. That he took that upon himself. So as we begin to hear his voice and that shame, it leaves us. That fear leaves us. When I say hear his voice, in other words, embrace who Jesus is and what he's done for us. But just in our world, there's just this every day, this, this voice that's it's talking about the same thing, but it's given us a different picture, a different story, trying to convince us that God doesn't really have our best interests at heart, trying to persuade us that he's really, he's not protecting you, he's withholding from you. As opposed to realizing that He's a good father. And good fathers know what their kids need. And so this voice that, that sometimes can have an appeal to our flesh, we like the way it looks. We like the way it feels. We like how it impacts us in that moment. And so, you know, it described it this way with a guy named Moses that said that he had an opportunity to, to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. But instead, he chose to suffer with the people of God. Now, I should be real transparent with you. I wish I could tell you that in every season of my life that I've always chosen to suffer with the, with the people of God. But there have been times in my life where I've listened to that voice, knowing exactly what God thought about that moment, knowing exactly what God said about that moment. I listen to the other voice. Sometimes I use my own pain or my disappointment to justify it. Somebody's hurt me, and so I, I deserve this. Sometimes I've used time. Well, this is never going to happen unless I do it this way. And I've used all of those things to justify how I saw a moment in my life that God had been clear about. And sometimes that voice gets so loud that if I lean in to it, it, it drowns out God's voice who always has my best interest at heart, who always knows what's best for me. And, and just... In that moment, if I, if I just trust him, that it impacts my life and their decision to not trust him that day impacted the, the steps they took. Now, the beauty of it is because of who Jesus is, that we can, if we lean back into him, that he, he restores. He restores our lives. If you're taking notes, number three is this, is that your outcome is determined by which voice you follow. You know, the outcome in this moment, what this moment looks like, is it's impacted by, by what voice I, I follow. I, I want to, you know, because of who Jesus is, he lives on the inside of us. He, he wants, he's telling us. He wants to reveal to us. He's not hiding it from us. He wants us to know. But I'm just telling you, man, if I give attention 
too long, if, if I begin to look for opportunity to justify what my flesh really wants, it's amazing how I can come to that place where I give myself permission. I mean, when I've done that, the pain it's created in my own life. And sometimes not just the pain it's created in my life, but the pain it's created in the lives of people that I love. It's a distraction. It's, it's familiar, so it seems safe. But yet, whatever situation or whatever circumstance you're in, in your relationship with God, he, he has something to say about this moment. There's something that he has, he has a word for you in this season to speak to you personally about it. And, and it's, it's not known because it's always the easy way. Sometimes we may not have all the reasons. Sometimes it's just, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. I, I know this way, there's, there's some things about it that appeals to me, but, but you said don't do it, so I'm, I'm just going to trust you in this moment. And then the places that, that takes us. It's whose voice, whose narrative determines the steps we take. I want us to do this. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes for just a minute. And I want us just to spend a minute with God. You know, and and I mean, if you're in here and, and you're thinking about areas in your life where, where you listen to that cultural narrative and it's created pain and maybe you're dealing with guilt or condemnation or shame this morning, I, I want you to hear God's voice this morning, which his mercy, his grace is calling out to you. You receive forgiveness today. You receive his love today. You receive Jesus today or just, you know, embrace him and, you know, just reconnect with who he wants to be in your world, in your life. Repent, ask him to forgive you and just, and just receive all of that, his forgiveness and, and just no longer let shame have a voice in this moment. No longer let guilt or condemnation have a voice in this moment. Embrace who he is. And for others of you that you're in that battle right now, that, that fight, and that voice is so loud, and there can be so many reasons to justify it. I, I know for me that bitterness became a, a justification. What, whatever that is for you in this moment, just begin to lean into God's voice. Well, Pastor Rick, I don't know, I don't know everything. And I get that, and I, I don't either. That's where trust comes in. But let's just... Let's just spend a moment with God. I'm going to be quiet for a minute. And you just there in that secret place between you and the Lord, you guys, you just have that conversation with him.